So I was on the uh, checking out the news uh, uh, even this morning, and I I check out two websites. I check out CNN and I check out Fox News, both of them, because I want like the full spectrum of propaganda, right? I want to be influenced by the right and the left and just, you know, kind of, you know, and it's so funny because you'll read a story in one and then you read a story in the other and (laughs) it's like, it's like it's not even the same story, you know. You know what I mean. So whichever side you're on, you're like totally. That's what I hate about Fox News. Or you're like, yeah, CNN, down with CNN, right? So I read both of them so that I can be equally as annoyed uh, with both camps. And, and and so as you start to do this, you realize that man, we are jacked up as a world. I mean, we've got some really major problems. It, it turns out there's like an economic crisis going on. I don't know if you heard about it or read about it, but uh, depending on which site you're on, they've narrowed it down to who to blame, and so we, we can go after them. But, but, I mean, you've got this economic, like, world economic crisis that, that can churn your stomach if you want to read all the details on it. And if you are in business at all, and uh, maybe you own your own business, or you're a manager of a, of a um, uh, maybe a division of a company or whatever, and you kind of sense that burden of, of that economic pressure on you, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, maybe you just got out of a meeting and you were talking about potential layoffs and stuff like that. It's going on all over the place. And then Syria's got all sorts of problems now, and they're trying to figure out, are we going to get rid of the Syrian president or whatever you call the guy in Syria, prime minister or something? You got that going on. You got you got the whole Occupy Wall Street thing. And if and if you're like for the Occupy Wall Street, you're super frustrated right now because it's kind of like ending and you're like, oh, and then if you didn't like Occupy Wall Street, you're frustrated that it took this long. You know, it's like it's like wherever you're at, there's just a lot of angst going on. California still ranks lowest in educating our kids. I mean, like all this stuff that's going on. And you add Christmas onto it and gifts and parties and all this kind of stuff. And there's this lie that we've bought into that us as Americans, maybe, or at least just people living in 2011, we should kind of be above all this by now. I mean, we've got iPhones now and, and the Discovery Channel I mean, we should, we should be kind of a, it's not like we have the bubonic plague anymore. We, we, we're past all that. And yet, it seems like everywhere I turn, and you can look at the, the drought that's in Somalia, you can, you, can, you can kind of go any spectrum you want, in any political way you want, in any economic way or any spiritual way, and you realize our world is jacked up. And it brings a lot of stress and a lot of tension and a lot of angst. Well, when Jesus was born uh, on Christmas, a couple thousand years ago, they were going through the same thing. As a matter of fact, it was worse for them. J- just a quick history lesson. Uh, in about 580-something B.C., Bab- the Babylonians took over essentially the world. And they grabbed the Israelites and they took them out of Israel. And then the Persians conquered the Babylonians and said, you can go back. And then the Greeks conquered the Persians. And then the Hasmoneans uh, kind of took over uh, Israel. And, and, and through this history, which they call the Second Temple period, there was nothing but unrest. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people died. 
They were not sitting up to figuring out how many wives Newt Gingrich had or whatever. I mean, they're not, they, they, the, the, the issues they were discussing were, is, a, is an army going to march in tomorrow and kill us? This was, this was kind of the unrest that was going. And so as the Greeks took over, the, the, the Hasmoneans took over. And they were Jews. They, they finally were kind of like, Israel was kind of like getting its independence. And, and there were these great wars. And the, there's all this, you know, Israel pride and all this stuff. Until those leaders started killing their own people. It would be like Obama starts not wiping us out, Right? And so what happened was this, this, this uh, Hasmonean, this guy, Alexander Janus, he, he set himself up as king, and then he set himself up as high priest. And in, in, in Scripture, the high priest has to come from one line of this one family. And he was outside that line, and he set himself up. And so he, he, did, this, uh, he did the temple offering, and, and they pelted him with citrons, which are these little fruit. Like, like, they just started just like wailing on him, you know? And so he's like, fine. And he wiped out 6,000 of them. Then he found out who was kind of against him, the leaders, and he crucified 800 leaders. They lined the road to Jerusalem, his own people. Like, it would be like Obama saying, I read your blog, and I'm not very happy, and so there you go. You know, and there you are on the way into the White House. It's line the road. 800 leaders. And what ha- started to happen was, they started getting these factions or these sects. Like, like, the Pharisees started their thing. The Sadducees. There was a group called the Essenes. There was a group that just said, bump it, we're out of here. And they moved to Qumran, this little place outside of Jerusalem. It started, and everyone just started kind of like vying for power and trying to get their thing. And they had their own agenda. Does it sound familiar? I mean, we don't change. People don't change. And so, so you, you've got this situation of total unrest. And then you've got this Mary and Joseph. And Joseph is in this, in this particular situation. After the Hasmoneans come, the, it's, they call it the Herodian period, where Herod came. And Herod the Great, this is the one that wiped out all those little boys between the ages of zero and two. He came, came in and murdered them. Herod the Great had killed, had killed off most of his kids because he thought they were going to try and get the throne. He'd been married like nine times and killed half his wives. He's cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. He's crazy, right? This is, this is the unrest. This has been 500 years of this. Now, imagine you got 500 years of unrest. You don't know who the next person is going to be to occupy your country. You've seen people die. You've seen little kids dying and I imagine you know going through that and every time you see a roman soldier you feel like oh, if i had a chance i'd kill that roman soldier for what they did when they killed those babies you'd be hopeless and helpless because there's not one thing you could do about it and you're just stuck occupied belittled the economy's horrible for you you have no hope, no future. And then all of a sudden you read this particular verse. Imagine what this verse would do for you. For a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulders. 
And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father. And then this particular title, Prince of Peace. Imagine how you would long for peace. I mean, pick a country right now. I mean, go go pick a continent. There are people groups right now just longing. They don't want an, they don't want a brand new Lexus. They don't want a three bedroom, uh, you know, two and a half bath house with, with a with a jacuzzi. They just want peace. And when Jesus was born, this is exactly the situation he was born into. Those people just wanted peace. So you've got Mary and Joseph and they're in their community and they're in this turmoil and everything. And then Joseph is like, I, you know, Mary's my fiance. And she comes up and says, hey, I've got some good news and some bad news. The good news is the Messiah's coming. The bad news is I'm pregnant, right? And then Joseph is trying to figure that all out. And I mean, come on, honestly, guys, I mean, you know, let's not give Joseph some hassle. You know, your fiance says I'm pregnant, but it was really God. Oh, oh, well, in that case, everything's fine. Right? I mean, you've you got all that turmoil, all that angst. And then an angel shows up and visits Joseph. And angels, every time they show up, it usually isn't good for like, like, it's not like it's like, bunk, you know, like, like we saw the cartoons where you're like, oh, hello. And like, hi. I'm here to tell you about me. It's, it's like, it's, it's not an angel. Every time an angel comes, it's like, don't be afraid. Like, right? I just picture this, like, not, like just, you know, you know, shield and a thing and everything's glowing and shiny and all this kind of stuff. And you're like freaked out. This is Joseph's Christmas season. And so finally he's convinced by the angel that, okay, for some reason, maybe we're, we're going to be the parents of the Messiah. And then well, what does that do? I could barely get my kid into college. Joseph's got to figure out how he's going to raise the Messiah. He's got all that angst. Then they get sent to Bethlehem for a census, and uh, that's disturbing. And there's no room. There's no place to go. And you got all that. And then finally the baby's born, and another angel shows up again. He's like, stop it with the angels, and says, move to Egypt. I mean, can you imagine? Right now, you go home. You're eating lunch or whatever. You're like, that was an awesome sermon. You're like, you normally do. And, And... and an angel shows up and says, move to Egypt tomorrow. And they're like, I don't know anybody. And at least we have planes now. They just hop on a donkey and they head to Egypt for a few years. I mean, what in the world? They're totally helpless and they're totally hopeless. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. The hope that Jesus brings. That, that hope... It, it, Hope for us, we just use that term all the time. Yeah, but, but, but imagine, imagine if you go to your spouse and you say, man, I, I just, I just want to spend the rest of my life with you. We're going to spend the rest of our lives together. And they say, I hope so. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you hope? Hope so. I mean, hope, like you don't want to hear that. You know, it's like you go to the doctor, doctor, is it cancer? Like, I hope not. Like, I mean, you got the, te- you got the test back. I mean, that, like, like, or, you know, I hope we get a 
team in Los Angeles, a football team, whatever. I mean, hope, we just throw that term out. But, but, but for, for the downcast, for the tro- downtrodden, for those who are just dealing with life, hope in Jesus never disappoints. Hope in Christ. And, and so all of a sudden you've got this verse that says, oh man, the Prince of Peace. I just want some peace. It goes on. It says, there will be no end to the increase of his government. Or, and then there's that word again, or of peace. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. I mean, you get the idea that there's a stamp of God's approval saying it will be done. The zeal of, I will make sure this happens. And guess what? It happened. And it looked nothing like anybody was ready for. That God would send his son in the form of a baby in order to continue the redemptive process that started from the time we all began sinning. This is the Christmas story. God created the universe and he created humans and he created everything we see here. Okay. And he created one other thing and that was our ability to choose. And from the very beginning, we chose wrong. And ever since then, God has been about redeeming, buying back, correcting that mistake. And in Jesus Christ, God sent his son to say, this is the way we're going to start that redemptive process. With the hope of Christ. And it didn't look anything like we expected it to look like. But isn't that the way it kind of happens? I mean, I don't know if you're like me, but there have been many times in my life. And I'm going through one right now where you're just praying, God. Deliver me. Say, just do it. Just do it like you did it when you were walking around on earth with the touch of the hem of your garment or something crazy. Or you'd like even weird, like the spitting on the mud or whatever. I like just just heal it. Do it. And and, and so so I don't know if you've ever been through that where you're praying and praying and you're freaking out and you're calling your buddies and all this kind of stuff. And then God does something and you look back and you go, I sure wish I had handled that better. I wish I, I wish I, I, I was a rock during that time. This is what hope allows you to do. Hope in Christ Jesus allows us to be in a certain circumstance and we're able to be strong in it. Whether it's an economic downturn, whether it's wars or rumors of wars, whether it's a, 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 a kind of a, a weird relationship spinning out of control. Our hope in Christ allows us to stand firm and go, God, you are in control. I know it. You are, like Alex said, it's a promise kept. And God has a promise for us today. That that same promise that he kept, and when you look at the way Jesus was born and you look at the Old Testament verses and you see how all these prophecies line up, you look back and you go, if you had lived back there, why was I freaking out? God had it all going on. It's amazing the amount of prophecies that were fulfilled in Christ. He knew it. He was in control. 
And that same hope that they had for 500 years going, the Messiah's going, when's the Messiah going to come? Peter missed it, right? Peter had been hanging out with Jesus. He'd been seeing all the uh, miracles. He'd been doing all this stuff. But when the time came, when they came to get Jesus, Peter reached for his sword and was like, let's go. And Jesus is like, put your sword away, Peter. Well, first he put the guy's ear back on, which is just awesome, right? He's like, oh, excuse me, I think this belongs to you. That would just be cool to see if you were there. Although, yeah. Anyway, so, so Peter cuts the guy's ear off. Jesus heals him. He's like, oh, put your sword away. It's not going to go down like this. There's another kingdom. There's something else that you can put your hope in. And it's not me reigning on a physical throne. This type of hope is different. What I want to do now is I want to fast forward all the way to the book of Romans. As we kind of still keep one foot in in antiquity, kind of one foot in uh, Jesus being born, lying in the manger. Now Jesus has died. He's had his ministry. He's died. He's been buried. He's raised the third day. 500 witnesses saw him uh, ascend into heaven. I mean, it's... People are dying, like saying, yeah, I saw it. You can kill me, but I, I saw it. I mean, it's, it's, it's a reality. Christ has done his work. He's conquered sin and death. And now Paul is sitting on the other side of that. And you know what he's talking about? Hope. He's talking about hope again. That the same hope that brought the Messiah, that brought Jesus that brought redemption, brought him all the way through his ministry, had him die on a cross for our sins, buried, resurrected, and now Paul's sitting there going, yeah, I'm just, ah, I'm just hoping in Christ. The difference is Paul's doing it while he's in his bad circumstances, not looking back on, man, I sure wish I had handled that right. It's in Romans chapter 8. It says this, I consider that our present economic conditions, our present president, our president Newt Gingrich, our present uh, world catastrophes. I was looking on CNN a few uh, days ago, um, and uh, we've had more national uh, uh, catastrophes by nature that have equaled over a billion dollars in ever in our, in our history in, in one year. Like, like this has the, been the worst year ever in our history of, of, of natural disasters over one billion dollars. I consider that our present natural disasters are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. I I consider that that Christmas party I have coming up on Wednesday and the house isn't clean is not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. I, I consider that my current debt structure and my inability to fund it is not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Paul is somehow able to connect with this hope that's in Jesus And it's able to strengthen him. Now, Jesus has died. 
He's gone up to heaven. He's sitting at the right hand of the throne of the Father. And for some reason, Paul's able to go, that same hope that brought Jesus as a baby, that he grew up and had ministry and all that, that same hope, I, 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 what I'm going through now, I'm not even, it's not even worth comparing. It goes on. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. It, it, it goes on and it starts talking about this idea that creation is actually affected by this hope that we have. That someday Christ will return and set it right the way it's supposed to be. It says, for the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. In hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay. Now listen, all these things, whether you're on the right or the left, you want to call it global warming, climate change, wherever you are, does this not paint an unbelievable picture of the angst that we have today? Isn't there this kind of longing in people to say, man, I just can't wait till peace if I were to poll us, if I were to kind of go around with just, just the human condition and say, listen, if we could create a world where you had your health care, you, uh, uh, you were going to be fed, your kids were going to be educated, your house isn't going to be a big mansion, it's just everything's going to be taken care of, you're going to work 30 hours a week, you're going to have everything you kind of need all sort of, wouldn't there just be this kind of, now, now some people, if you're a capitalist, you're like, no, you know, we, 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 I must be able to try to make millions, you know, like, how are you doing? Horrible, but I need the freedom to try. Like, 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 you know, you'd be blaming for, for, for communism, but isn't there this sense of just like, ah, isn't there a sense that there's a system that should work? It's not going to happen by us. Humans can't produce the system. Only God can. So he says, there's this frustration subjected to it in hope that the creation itself would be liberated from this bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And, 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 and when, when we look in the scriptures, the one, wonderful thing about the scriptures is that they're living and they're active. So if Paul's writing about it being up to that present time, we can read it as up to this present time. Is this not an excellent description of where we are as a world? We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. We are no different today than they were 2,000 years ago when Jesus was born. We're no different. We'd like to think we are. We can play Angry Birds now while we wait in line. That's good, right? I mean, it, it seems like we can make phone calls. They didn't have any of that. But we're no different. We're, we're, we're just as perverted Right. Oh, check out the news. Check out, you know, we got predators everywhere. It seems we're, we're no different. How are we going to get through it? How are we going to get through this angst, these situations, the economy? Is it going to be our next president? No, it's not. Is it going to be some type of, uh, uh, you know, different way we do capital? No, it's not. It's going to be Jesus. 
And, and the way it's going to work in our individual lives is Jesus. It's not going to be a raise. It's not going to be moving to the other side of town. It's not going to be any of that. It's going to be Jesus. And we all long for this. We all groan for this. All of creation groans for when Jesus comes back and makes it better. And you go, well, that's, he ain't back yet. You're not painting a very good picture. Let's keep reading. All right. Not only so, this is verse 23, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. In other words, here's what Paul's saying. He's saying not only is creation growing, gro- groaning, but so are we, and we've even got the Holy Spirit. Like Jesus has already done his redemptive work on the cross. We're experiencing that, but we're still groaning. In other words, Paul the apostle was saying, oh, I can't wait to be with Jesus just, just in his kingdom. He says, we have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. And then Paul says this crazy thing in the next verse. And, and this is where I, I want us to begin to identify with that church, that, that those people that were there oppressed economically, spiritually. I mean, think, think of this. This is what happened to them. When, when the Romans came in and took over, uh, Pompey, a general, came into Jerusalem with his troops, walked into the temple, right? In the temple, there's this courtyard of Gentiles, and everybody's kind of allowed there. And then you've got the uh, courtyard of the Jews, and then of women, and then of the men, and then you've got the, you know, the, the, ultimately the Holy of Holies. Pompey strolls right through all of them, walks right into the Holy of Holies. Now, if you're a Jew then, you thought, yippee, he's dead. Arrogant knucklehead walked right into the Holy of Holies until he came waltzing right back out again. Probably with one of the candlesticks in his hand going, what's the big deal? It's just a building. And your faith was rocked. Because all your life for generations, you believed if you walked into the Holy of Holies, you would die. Because you'd be in the presence of God. And all of a sudden, Pompey walks right back out and says, I don't know, you need to sweep in there or whatever. I don't know what he did. I mean, they are completely devastated. And it's into this community Jesus is born. In a way that none of us would have seen. I mean, honestly, would you, is that the way you would have done it if you could? So, so Paul gets through this whole thing. He's saying, look, what, what you're going through now, whatever it is, I don't even, I don't, it's not even worthy of considering when you think about eternity with Christ, when you think about all the ways Christ redeems our lives and gives us a future and a hope, another part of the Bible says. And he says, all of creation is longing for this. We're longing for this. Paul says, I got the Holy Spirit. I'm longing for this. And then he says this. Verse 24, for in this hope, we are saved. See, there's something that happens in our lives prior to Christ's return that gives us strength, that gives us peace. There's something that happens. Now, when Christ returns, he's going to establish an entirely new kingdom. 
To be honest, I've read Revelation a bunch of times. I have no clue how it's going to happen. So if you want to send me an email and tell me about pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, all that kind of stuff, you want to talk about the bear from the north and all that, go ahead. I don't have a clue. It's wacky. That is a wacky, wacky book when you read it. Okay, but I do know this. Jesus is coming back to establish a kingdom. I don't know how he's going to do it. There's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. I don't know how he's going to do it. But he's coming back. But here's the exciting thing. What Paul is saying out of his own experience, which is exactly why he says, I don't know, whatever's going on now, it doesn't even matter. He's saying that hope can strengthen you today. The hope of Christ's return. The hope of being forgiven of your sins. The hope of living a life whose focus is on something other than ourselves. That hope saves us. That hope of Christ returning to make all things new again, to bring it back the way it was intended when God first created the world. However, he did that. I don't know how he did it. For in this hope, we are saved. And then he kind of gives this kind of like encouraging thing, right? Like, yeah, but it's still hope. Like, I want it to be now. I want it to be real. Like, I want him busting through the doors and sweeping me up. I want to be able to fly. I want wings. I don't want to ever want to cry again. I, you know, whatever. I want a banquet table that talks about. I want a street of gold. Like, I want it now. But Paul says this. But hope that is seen is not hope at all. In other words, we're going to have to rely on hope for a while. He says, who hopes for what he already has? Right? In other words, there's a way to experience life that kind of allows this wonderful counselor, like this, allows for Christ to take the throne, that the government can be upon his shoulders, that he's a wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal father, prince of peace. There's a way to experience it now even before it happens. This is what Paul is saying. Yeah, we don't have it. But just the very act of hoping in it strengthens us to get through what we're getting through today. I I don't know where you're at. I don't know. You, You might be right now going through the worst economic crisis of your life. You might be going through a relationship problem that you... You wake up in the morning and there's this, you just wake up with a pit in the middle of your stomach. Half the time you just want to throw up. It's like you just don't know what to do. Or, or you might be going through something with your kids where you're just like, oh, you know, they're, they're, they're being crazy or whatever. And you're just like, what in the world? Or, or they've been diagnosed with something or whatever. You know what Jesus says to you? Just put me on the throne. Let let, let the government of your life be on my shoulders. Let me work it out. Ultimately, I have the power to work it out perfectly. Uh, That day is coming. Just like like it was promised that I was going to come to earth and be born, live a sinless life and die for your sins, just like I accomplished that promise kept, I'm coming back. And in that hope, Jesus wants us to be strengthened. Jesus wants us to go through this Christmas season reminding, yes, God, you, that's right, you came through. 
He sent Jesus. And yes, it was weird. And poor Joseph got the brunt of all the nonsense. And he had to figure all that out. But you did it. You followed through. You kept your promise. And there's another promise coming that Jesus is coming again in power. And he's going to make it right. Goes on. But we... But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Isn't that the problem? (laughs) I hate that word. Wait for it patiently. Like, let's get our collective. Let's really. Oh, now, you know, I mean, like, don't you wish we could just muster it up? But the Bible talks about that. It says, you know what? God is not slow. As some think of slow slowness. But he's patient with us, not wishing that any perish, but all come to salvation. See, as we're patiently waiting for God, he's patiently waiting for us, which is a pretty awesome thought when you think about hope. When you think no matter what I'm going through now, God has got his hand on my life. He understands. He's been through it. He saw it from the beginning of time. He knows where you're at. And some of us are in dire straits right now. And what Jesus is asking is that we don't give up hope. As uh, Alex returns, I want to read this verse from Peter, the guy who cut off the other guy's ear that Jesus had to heal. He says this. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Right? Always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Here's what Peter's saying. Peter's saying, if you would sanctify Christ as Lord, all that means is just make a holy place for God, for Jesus to come and rule, that the government of your life would be on his shoulders, that he would be your wonderful counselor, your mighty God, your eternal father, your Prince of Peace, if you would sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense for anyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. In other words, this hope in Christ is going to be so real, people are going to take notice. And they'll go, how come when all this stuff is going on, you seem to be so calm? How come when, when we know what we know about your family, you, you seem to have it, you seem to, it, it's like you like things are in control. It's like you and, and we could as a church, as, as a people stand like Paul and go, you know what? I consider these present sufferings nothing compared to what it's going to be like to spend eternity with Jesus. There's something about hope. You make a defense and give an account for the hope that is in you. 